Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood.
Whatever they think of that is what they think of. And so they're in this kind of mess. So they believe that this world is going to come down on the heads of ungodly people. Moreover, they know things that no man can know. So three letters are fired. The fired letter came from heaven. The men in Judah were bound by oaths to him. For he was the son of God, like the son of Elijah, the son of Barak. This man, Jehovah, your co-pilot, has taken your daughter as Nephtali, the son of Berechiah, and Hanani. Also, they spoke of his good deeds and claimed that they could have found a redeemer. By a strange letter, they were not found. Then the wall had been built in front of the door of Jerusalem, where Zerubbabel had been appointed. I gave my brother Hananiah, the governor, the task of being charged over Jerusalem. He is the most faithful and God-fearing man in the temple. I said to him, let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the time of the tithe. While they stood in the yard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards to watch the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some in their gardens and some in the gardens of the temple. So these are wise men. People who know Jerusalem and their houses and their temples. Think of the work of the Lord next to your God and his plan for this chapter I gotta ask that as we think through this road of redemption that Ezra and Nehemiah have been on, we consider together the opposition that they faced what was accomplished by the community gathering together, moving in faith, and how you, God, were the one who brought it about, that you superintended this work, that you enslaved and overthrew and took captive and put by and put into slavery. That as we hear your story, that you won't offer us the news that it is in our hearts and minds building of the wall, you continue to be active in the life and the work of the temple, as it is today. So there are some typical plot movements in scary movies. In a typical plot development of a scary movie, it involves uh, usually uh, attractive people uh, being stranded somewhere in like an isolated spot, right? Like way out in the country or in the middle of the ocean uh, or uh, some random spot of isolation, right? They're apart from uh, where their normal help would come from. And so these characters find themselves in an isolated place. And in order to be build this tension up for the audience, one of the other plot devices is these same characters often make really bad decisions. And it, it leads to their own harm, right? They uh, uh, make decisions that maybe you or I wouldn't make. Maybe you see this coming and say, no, 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 don't make that decision. It's, it's not going to go well. They do it anyway. And it's, it's a device that scary movies use that help invite you in to see terrible decisions. There was a car commercial that exemplified and hooked up this plot device where there's like a running car 
with the headlights on where everyone can escape. And they're like, should we take the car? And the group collectively decides, no, let's go run to that spooky shed with power tools hanging from it and let's hide there. It's a good commercial because it's picking up this device that everyone knows is the spooky shed. Yes, the spooky shed. Well, here in Ezra and Nehemiah, the exiles have returned. Uh, They have been spread out across different worlds and continents and many of their collective cities. And they have returned to the city of Jerusalem, to the promised land. They have rebuilt the temple. The walls, though, were in shambles. And Nehemiah and Peter heard about the rough state of things. And he returned. And as he's picking up this project of rebuilding the walls, uh, his opposition has been steady. And he's trying to find new ways to distract, to take away time, to move them off of the mission that God has given them. Here in Nehemiah 6, the city is getting closer to fulfilling uh, those walls. The downloading marks you see on the walls, it's like a 95% so we're told that the mission is made. And uh, so as they're getting close, they want the opposition armies, they want Nehemiah to do scary movie scenes. Uh, They want him to set up uh, fantastic new ways to get him to fall uh, for the same scary movie plot twist, uh, to go and do wild things. And uh, it builds this tension for uh, us as the readers of this story, as God's work is progressing, as it seems so close to the end, the opposition doesn't give up, they don't stop, they continue to invite Nehemiah to make scary movie scenes. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in three points, an invitation to run, an invitation to hide, and the intention to finish. So we get this setting uh, in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. Things are getting close, but the opposition has persisted. And in uh, 2 through 4, verses 2 through 4, uh, this opposition, Sanballat and Geshem, they send to Nehemiah, and they invite him uh, to go out to this far-out valley. Think uh, a tribe of far away from kind of where home base is. And this valley would have been like right on the borders of like two enemy countries who want nothing more than to see Nehemiah die. Okay? Uh, and, and so they send to Nehemiah and they say, hey, hey, we need you together. And let's go way out into the country uh, to a dark corner on the borders of your enemies and let's gather together. This, Nehemiah sees, is a scary movie mistake. Uh, This is not going to end well for him if he takes up their invitation to go meet. He knows the story. And so he, in a very diplomatic way, gives them a hard no. Not going to do that. And they come back three more times and say, come on, Nehemiah. Come out with us. It's an invitation to run out of the city real quick and meet together. We see what ends up happening, though. Again, he gives the same answer to the third and the fourth. It doesn't matter. Go find another. Not going to do that. And so, in verse 5, as he takes up this invitation, he says, well, if we go 
that God's given to you, even if it's partially incorrect, even if it ends up being wrong. Nehemiah is going to say that things worked out. And he says further, um, not only am I not going to stop the work in order to build my own house, Nehemiah knows I'm not supposed to go in there and just give it to people. In the book of Numbers, uh, you can go and check this out later, but in chapter 18, it's pretty clear. If you're not a priest, you can't go into the temple and serve the Lord. That's forbidden. That's a Chaldean practice. Or in earlier instances in Israel's history, people were struck with leprosy or faced other bad things. Nehemiah, seeing this invitation to build a house, is not only attracted by what the people say, but something that would be dishonest to his own nation, potentially bringing himself invitations. One to run away, the other to hide in the temple. They don't want that to happen. Nehemiah continues to get this invitation and focus on the work of the Lord. And in verse 15, we see this focus. This intention to finish is what God has given him. It comes out in verse 16. I'm not going to finish. I'm not going to mount this work. The wall
But then the rest of the book of Ezra focuses on how the community continues to have to rebuild themselves and work things out as a community. That same thing is going to play out here in Nehemiah. So through the first six chapters of Nehemiah, the wall has been rebuilt. Much of the story through the first half of Nehemiah is focused on the wall. But what's to come is that even with the work of the wall, that didn't finish the road to the vision. That wasn't the last stop on God's redemptive work for his people. Things weren't done. The wall was done, but the community still had a work to do as well. And in those coming weeks of August, that's what we're going to see displayed in Ezra. That just because the wall is completed, here's chapter 6, and in chapter 7 we get this lengthy uh, pull from the archives with kind of registering and the markings and what generation of Paul to whom the wall was and the way to honor all that had been accomplished. But the completion of the wall didn't mean that the community surrendered to the enemy of God. Thus it didn't mean that the enemy got off their throne and that they were safe and peaceful God's people kept on his way down the path. They're going to have to navigate the continuing larger life in this chapter in order for us to reach our destination. And this pattern, it continues down the road to greatness. Where in some sense, there are these moments where there's a large step forward in accomplishing the work that God has for that happens with the building of the temple. It's now happened with the rebuilding of the wall. But it's not the full completion of God's people or his mission in the world. There was more work yet to be done. And so we see these cycles of opposition rising up and invitations for people to either walk a line of faithfulness in what God has called them to do or turn and hide and choose a different path. And this story progresses even into the New Testament. It continues into the Gospels, where Jesus, sent by the Holy Spirit, God, taken on flesh, entering into the world with the mission of bringing about the full redemption of God's people. He faces opposition. That cycle continues. We could go and read in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, the temptations that Jesus faced, taking meetings in caves and hours of fasting and prayer to tempt him to uh, make a meal for yourself and spend the evening flourishing. Uh, Jesus, uh, if you uh, are who you say you are, then you can perform some miraculous works and uh, show off your powers. Jesus, you can have wealth and power if you just come down from the sky. In the desert of Eden, fasting in Matthew chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is on this pathway to bring about the redemption of God's people in the ultimate way, in the every factor of his death. And he is facing invitations uh, to run and to hide, invitations to uh, make food for himself when he's hungry, to flex his power, uh, or to gain wealth and status. This dynamic of faithfulness and the opposition is a pattern that we see all over the book of Ezra. This continues. Jesus steps up to humanize the enemy of God. How do we know this? 
you may think you have been defrauded by your pastor or your conductor or whatever type of church you were in. But God has more for you. You receive adulation or pat on the back for our perspective. The invitation in that verse 3 is to become like a child. It's not that we have to stay in mediocrity, but rather that we don't allow our lives to be defined by our output or what we achieve. Finally, Jesus invites us to live in a secular world, a world that's moving fast, a, a, a world that has culture that pushes what's right. To do that, we're